0: Today's reading is from Luke chapter 8, 1 to 15. After this, Jesus travelled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chuza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rock. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil he came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown when he said this he called out he who has ears to hear let him hear his disciples asked him what this parable meant he said the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of god has been given to you but to others i speak in parables so that those seeing they may not see though hearing they may not understand this is the meaning of the parable the seed is the word of god Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. That the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop.
1: Well, good morning. How are you? Good to see you. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Barry, one of the um, uh, pastors here at St. Paul's. Um, that... Parable that we just read um, of Jesus is self-explanatory, isn't it? Or at least he explains it. That's the the one parable that he unwraps in quite some detail. So, shall I sit down? Is it? Is it? Um, what do you mean? Yes. Somebody said yes, and I hung him out. Um, oh, was it? No, no, I don't think it was. His lips didn't move anyway. Um, This is not one of those crafted sermons with three points in it where each point begins with the same letter. Um, I've only really got one point for you, which is this. What has God been saying to you regarding your life, whether it's decisions you need to make or things you need to do, and how long? And as a consequence of that, what is the condition of your heart to hear that? And obey. The underlying positive, encouraging message of this parable is that things in God multiply and grow; that there is a, an abundant life, uh, a big harvest, a fruitful outcome for what God wants us to do. And coupled with that is a warning about our nature, about how we respond to God's voice let me ask you a question do you know who this man is not that man because he's a cartoon but this one anyone recognise him somebody here will because you're a very well informed um, congregation could be be. my dad doesn't look like that but um, I guess it could be or or me in six months time Um, it could be you're right if, I'm surprised because you've been, you've been um, lapping up the fruit of this man's life for the past two or three weeks. You've been rejoicing in it. His name is Ludwig Gutmann. And some... some okay. Did you get it, Karen? She did. Okay. And he is the man credited with birthing the Paralympic movement. And um, you might not guess it from his name, but he's German. Um, But his work, his pioneering work, was in Stoke Mandeville Hospital during and at the end of the Second World War, because he'd fled from Germany and found work here. And what he did was that he pioneered revolutionary techniques and therapies for engaging with soldiers who had spinal injuries not by um, putting them in a bed and nursing them to death, literally, but by getting them out and playing sport. So what you saw in Stratford over the past three weeks started with a wheelchair archery competition in Stoke Mandeville Hospital Grounds. That's how it started. Within three years of the end of the war, there was something called the 1948 um, Wheelchair Games, coinciding with the Olympics that were held uh, that year. And he decided to create an elite sports competition uh, for people with disabilities. Um, 1952, they were held again, and this time, um, well in 1948, only it was only British, only British competitors, just one country taking part. We still came third in the medal table. I can't work that out, but um, that seems to be something we do. Um, in 1952, there were two countries, because the, the, the Dutch joined in, um, and therefore it became an international competition. By 1960, the wheelchair archery competition in the grounds of the hospital had 400 athletes from 23 countries. By 1976, there were 1,600 athletes from 40 countries. And this year, there were 4,200 competitors from 147 countries. That's just multiplication of numbers. Far more significant, I think, was the complete and utter change in attitudes that that man's vision in a field outside a rehabilitation hospital in Stoke Mandeville produced in us. We started to look at people as people, not as people with disabilities, and think, "Okay, this is just another classification. These people are elite athletes. They happen to have maybe a limb missing, or an eye missing, or something um, um, that makes them physically incomplete. But that is all. Apart from that, they're just human beings with a passion. And he received a seed of vision in his heart, and he went with it he never stopped being a doctor he didn't get ordained or anything silly like that you know but look at the growth in what he did and the fruit and the amazing multiplication of his work and that i think is what jesus would call or at least an example of the kingdom of god and the multiplication and his analogy with the seed and when it when it when it's allowed to germinate and grow And given full reign, that's what happened. So let's look at what Jesus actually said. First of all, why is he teaching in this way? He spends a lot of time, Jesus, talking to ordinary folk, revealing profound truth. And his purpose was to come, obviously, and introduce us to um, the kingdom of God. He wanted to make something invisible visible to bring something to people's attention and say, this is reality, not what you think is reality. The problem he encountered, and the one that we encounter, is that the kingdom had become invisible. For thousands of years, even before he came, people had chosen to go their own way, and over time, the ways of God and his heart and character become obscured. Now, don't you find that everyday life carries that danger, but there's a momentum, a kind of conveyor belt to the way life is that gradually dr- takes you back from this radical difference that God calls us to. And before we know it, there's almost no difference in our life. And this is so corrosive and misleading that it becomes known as worldly wisdom. We start to give it a status that it perhaps doesn't Deserve And our hearts become even harder to hearing what God is saying to us. And there is, I think, something about life that underpins the radical wisdom of this parable. That life takes us down paths where where the seed falls, it can't grow. And in order to find a place where the seed of God's word can grow in us, maybe we need to walk somewhere else. Because the ground is too hard We'll come back to that in a minute Secondly how did Jesus teach He entered history God became man Am I making a rather odd noise here Shall I um, Do I want to change mics or I'll just carry that Maybe turn me down a little bit Okay. Um, Jesus takes a story here From everyday life that people would understand and um, through it reveals something amazing and life changing that's basically his style if he came today he pro- uh, to speak to us he probably wouldn't speak about farming because we're not really familiar with what they do are we We just think it you open a box and out comes the you know the, the thing whatever it is um, we've no idea how that got to be on our our table at all. But in the, in those days, that they would have known everything about that. If you came today, you'd probably talk about computers, or starting a company, or writing a book, doing something that we would understand. And we call these stories parables, and often define them. The, the oldest definition I can remember is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Have you ever heard that phrase? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I don't think that's untrue, but I do think it's misleading. It suggests, or it can suggest to us, that what Jesus is saying is something mysterious, or philosophical, or otherworldly. Something that will be true one day, and we just need to sort of, you know, say, oh, well, it'll be nice, won't it? Now, what have I got to do today? It's like a thought for the day, a pause in reality, just to take a breath and try and um, find out something a bit more deep, but not really real. What I think these stories were, were heavenly stories with an earthly meaning. In other words, they were glimpses of God's intended kingdom and an invitation for us to change our minds about something and do something different in this world. I'm not saying they don't have the heavenly meaning as well and the eternal meaning, all the things that are ascribed to them. But when we think of them as heavenly stories, we can say, well, that can wait. We can um, just ponder that and I don't need to change anything. The point of Jesus was always to change people. And he kind of lobs these little explosive devices into our cozy way of thinking and says, change, but change now. God calls you to change now. This, this seed that's been thrown out is not supposed to lie in the ground dormant for 70 years and then suddenly yield fruit. The point of this story is that it either grows or dies and fails. So be careful of thinking that these parables are cozy stories about everyday life. They sort of are, but they're, they're really not. They're very disruptive stories and they were intended to be. And Jesus used two techniques. One was the familiar, the everyday life. And the other was impact. And sometimes that was offense. You know, the the hero of the story of the robbers and the man who gets mugged is a Samaritan. I mean, that was a grossly offensive thing for Jesus to say. But the reason he did it was, he said, I want you to listen. I want you to really understand what the kingdom of God is like. And it's not what you think. And you should change. You should change your mind about things. So the familiarity in this story is the setting, growing food and the multiplication in a seed. And all things to do with planting and growth and and farming and, and so on. And the accusation, the offense, is that so much of what God says to us, so much of that seed, is actually wasted and lost and falls on hard ground where it doesn't grow um, and in, in this um, story and also in the Matthew version of it is a quote from Isaiah which talks about um, you know, your hearts will become hard you will hear but you won't understand You will God will keep speaking to you but you won't respond and When I see that quoted there, I realise that Jesus is being very, very serious. Because the message of Isaiah was extremely strong and profoundly, I wouldn't call it negative, because it was a warning about destruction. And warnings about destruction are positive things. It's the destruction that's negative, not the warning. Isaiah lived about 700 years earlier and announced the judgment of God on the nation for its unbelief. And he said, you will hear but you won't understand. Whatever is now preached will will not impact you. In fact, it's only going to harden your resistance to God. And of course, the nation, 700 years earlier, had been the home of God. They had the the Holy of Holies, they'd had the prophets, they'd had the history, the the choosing, what we call election. Um, They were the chosen people of God. They'd had everything, but in their sin and rebellion, They've moved further and further away from God than ever before. And those two things often coincide. Sometimes the more we have, the further we move away from God, and the less we listen, and the harder our hearts become. And then a message comes into that situation, and it sounds like a nag. It sounds like, will you please empty the dishwasher, or something. And we go, yeah, yeah, I've got other things to do. And that's called a hardening of the heart. And then that happens a few times, and then gradually, uh, a seed that would once sort of go an inch into the soil can't go into the soil at all, and the parable says that the birds come along and eat it. And the cares and worries of this life obscure it, and it's gone. I was sitting in my dining room yesterday uh, kind of in that period before everyone had got up, it, there was just me and we've got a couple of big sliding doors there and a bird feeder, you know one those tubes that you put that stuff that you buy, bird food um, and it's seed isn't it basically if you look at it, most of it is seed it's exactly what, what this, this chap this would have been chucking around and they were flocking to it at one point, there's only two birds that could eat it at one, any one time There were plenty of others eating what they would drop on the floor. And the level of seed in this thing was like going down like this. And I counted about 15 sparrows at one point, either eating or waiting to eat. And it occurred to me that the the, the birds in our life that will come along and take that seed away are many and many, many in number. There's all sorts of things that will snatch it away. If we don't make sure that seed goes deep into our heart. There are loads of things. Our job, our family, our preferences, our character, our friends, the needs of this life, our desires and aspirations. And they, if, we're not, if they're not subject to discipline and obedience and, and, and humility before God, it just snatches the word away and we're no longer radical. We're just the same as everybody else. There are two, two things that I think are very encouraging. Firstly, the seed is described as incredibly fruitful, incredibly um, capable of being multiplying and yielding great fruit, just like the, the, um, Gutman, the guy who, who founded the Paralympic Games. And the second is this, why is Jesus telling the story? It must be because he thought people had a choice to change. This extended simile, this picture that he uses, can only take us so far. We're not actually soil, are we? We're not actually a bit of mud lying on the ground. We're human beings with choices. So if our soil is hard today, we can make a choice to plough it over and make it receptive. We're not prisoners of our own past. You can today choose to hear what God says is saying about it. And for that reason, this parable, although it's always called the sower, is not really about the sower at all. It's not even really about the seed very much. It's much more about the soil. This is the parable of the soil. And the message is about us. It's a mirror held up and says, Jesus says, this is what you look like collectively. Some of you look like this, some of you look like that, some of you look like like that. So imagine a field It's ploughed and it's ready for seed And then you go and, and, or someone else goes And they in the old fashioned way they just chuck seed on it Like that, just chuck it out Around the edges, probably Are places where the ground is very, very hard And rocky And why is it hard and rocky around the edge? and the answer is probably because that's the path and the path is where the crowd walks that's where everyone goes that's the easy place to walk that's that's when you walk along there you go where everyone else goes nothing can grow there because as soon as a seed lands there it's trampled underfoot or it's eaten by the birds and the hard unreceptive part of our lives are often where we walk where everyone else walks where we follow the crowd where we do the worldly thing and if we're oriented towards God at all it's simply can you bless what I am doing here's my list and God is often saying well all my seed is over here on the ploughed ground and you're not going there you're just going where you want to go We follow the crowd very easily. We take the same shortcuts that they take. We choose safe, established paths, not necessarily the interesting ones that God calls us to go on. We file God's word away for later. We hope that there's a better time to do it. Or we reject it outright. But the seed doesn't grow. Or we decide to change path. And walk across where the ground is ploughed, where the seed has, has fallen, and where fruitful growth can happen. And the outcome is a life of fruitfulness, harder walking, dirtier shoes, but amazing satisfaction. And the knowledge that we did what God wanted us to do, and we traded that in for the conveyor belt of the world. That kind of, just, just do life as it comes, and... Maybe give God the glory one day, one day when the seed germinates. Let me finish. Jesus does not want to reduce the glory and the mystery of the kingdom of God to cozy stories. It's quite the opposite. He's lobbing little bombs into our cozy life to reveal the kingdom of God. He's not saying life is okay as it is, he's saying life needs to change. His warning, though, is against allowing our life to become hard ground that doesn't receive that seed, because we're just going where everyone else has gone. What he asks us to do, and I thought of this when Lindsay gave that announcement about that Women's Day, is take a decision, maybe just one decision, and it will be different for everyone here. To put yourself in God's firing line, say, God, I want—I'm I, I, just making myself vulnerable. I want you now to tell me what you want to birth in my life. And going on a, you know, a conference day like that is often a great way of doing that. Um, so I'd encourage you to think about that. But that doesn't apply to the men, obviously. But maybe something else that you can do to say, reveal to me something. That you've maybe been saying to me for years, Lord, and I've just ignored it. Please, make my heart receptive. Make my soil cloud and ready to hear it. Because God has a plan for your life. I think he has something fruitful lined up for all of us. You know, he says um, in Psalm 139, doesn't he say, You're, um, you, you saw my unformed body and all the days ordained for me were written in your book. You know, there is something in God's heart that says, I have something for this person for the whole of their life. I wonder if they'll step into it. I guess we're going to move into um, communion now. Can I, I get guys, do you want to come up and lead us in, in worship? And um, I just want to encourage you now just to think, has, some, has God been saying something to me for years and years or months and months? And I've become hardened to it. Maybe so hardened to it that I've forgotten what it was. And I just need the Holy Spirit to kind of plough that field again. Rake over my hard soil. And allow that seed to germinate in my life. And if that's you, as we'll worship for um, a song or so, come forward and and we'll pray with you. Maybe, maybe, Maybe that will be the thing that unlocks it in your life. Come forward. And one of us will pray with you this morning. But don't go without committing that thought to God and asking him to reveal it to you this week.